Hello. Welcome to New Books in Popular Music. I'm your host, Richard Schur. Today I will be speaking with Marsha Dawkins. She's the author of Eminem, The Real Slim Shady, which we will be discussing today. She's also a professor at the University of Southern California and is the author of Clearly Invisible, Racial Passing, and the Color of Cultural Identity. Her book, Eminem, The Real Slim Shady, offers a fresh look at Eminem and sees him as a cultural critic, a spiritual seeker, and a polyethnic American. Her study examines Eminem's lyrics closely and helps us understand why he has been such a popular artist. Hello, Marcia. Hi, Richard. So why don't you tell our audience about how you uh, decided to write a book about Eminem? Well, thanks. Thanks for asking the question. And it's one I find myself having to answer often. Uh, I've been a life, uh, lifetime fan uh, and just interested party in terms of hip hop in general coming from Queens, New York. And I was turned on to Eminem uh, about a year or so before he became really big. Uh, so I learned about him around 1997, 98. And of course, he became big in early 1999. And I just I thought, what is going on here? This guy is really different. He's uh, doing identity and authenticity in some interesting ways. And wait a minute, he's white. I don't quite get this. And the uh, definite, you know, seal on the deal in terms of my interest was when I went to check on my grandpa, who was 89 years old at the time, living in Queens. And I hear Eminem coming out of his speakers. And I'm thinking, okay, Grandpa, you know, what's going on here? I should also mention my grandpa was mostly Spanish-speaking, also a reverend. So you can imagine my surprise uh, when hearing Eminem coming out of his speakers. And when the song was over, I asked Grandpa, you know, what is going on here? This is uh, quite surprising to me. And Grandpa said, I know he's a heathen, but I love what he's doing with his words and his voice. My grandpa was a poet and a big fan of poetry. And he thought there's really something here in terms of this guy's delivery that is going to make him great, number one, in hip hop. And number two, might be evidence of perhaps a lost calling as an imam or a priest or, or something of that nature. And so I really began to take Eminem a lot more seriously and uh, allow myself to get out of the box in terms of what he may do or has done in the 15 years since. Well, well great. One of, the, one of the things that really fascinated me about your book is you, you talk about Eminem having three different personas. Um, maybe tell the audience a little bit about about those three different personas and how you how you notice this in his work. Sure. Well, the first thing, just being attuned to what my grandpa had turned me on to in terms of how the the music sounded and his voice sounded, I realized that when he would go into these three personas or these three characters, Slim Shady, then Eminem, and then Marshall Mathers, that his voice would change. And so when he was being Slim Shady, his voice would get really high and he would take on this very adolescent, angry tone and message in his music. And then when he was being more of Eminem, he was taking on what I call this more of a CEO quality, uh, mastermind quality, more of a director's quality. Then when he was being Marshall Mathers, I noticed that the voice would get much, much deeper, the rhymes would get much, much slower, and he would begin talking about spiritual matters and really asking big questions about life. And so what I wanted to do in the book was see if this was just something I was imagining or if this was something that I could trace out, uh, you know, in his lyrics both in terms of content and how they sound. And it was an amazing study. And I was pleased to find my, my suspicions confirmed that there 
not only were these three personas, but they had these very three distinct messages and three distinct styles of communication and delivery. So it was really amazing to begin to look at Eminem as more than just a pop culture figure, but really as uh, one of the foremost and formidable communicators of the early 21st century and to see why that resonated with audiences so much. Well, do you find that hip hop or that Eminem is, is fairly unique among hip hop artists having personas or do you think he took it farther than other artists or what was your take on that? I think he definitely is in line with the use of personas from people that he's talked about and idolized, you know, West Coast rappers, you know, such as Ice Cube and obviously Dr. Dre and NWA, the Wu-Tang Clan, I think were the first ones to really do it big in terms of personas and, and alter egos. But I think Eminem, for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into over the next few minutes, was able to push some limits on this idea of having these personas and having them really do different things and having the license and freedom uh, to, to say things that other rappers just haven't been able to say or would be criticized differently or perhaps even more harshly than he. Now, did you find that these three personas were in his work from the beginning or have they kind of developed as he's gone along? Uh, the answer to that is yes and yes. So yes, they were in his work, particularly from the beginning of his commercial release in 1989, uh, the Slim Shady uh, EP and then LP, but they weren't so much in his work before that. I would say in the late 1990s, around 96, 97, he really sounded like a wannabe Nas who was really big at the time. He sounded a lot like Lord Finesse, who was also really big at the time. These were names that if you were a kid from Queens like me, really into hip hop, would just, you know, be on the tip of your tongue. So he really didn't sound like anything that we know him to sound like today. And that was one of the problems that people had with his early work. I mean, the, the lyrical talent was there, but the delivery just, he didn't sound like he was trying to be himself. And so he wasn't um, very successful with his first couple of releases, particularly Infinite, which I believe was in 1996. But even there, you can see the themes of adolescent rage, um, wanting to provide for one's family, having a bigger dream about what show business is like, having opinions about spirituality. All that was in the work in terms of content, but the delivery didn't come until he became more commercial. Um, you mentioned that that you were hearing him in Queens and and people like Nas was in Queens, but um, Eminem didn't grow up in Queens. So can you maybe explain a little bit about where he came from and how that affected his music? Sure, Eminem has an amazing story, which I was uh, you know privileged to learn so much about. He was raised by a single mom, who you know we all know they've had a very tumultuous relationship over the past forty plus years. And they moved over 20 times before he was legally an adult. So he grew up mostly uh, in the Southeast. And then uh, when he became around 13, 14, they moved to Detroit. And that's really where the story that we know about Eminem comes out. Um, so he, because for, because of class reasons, he and his mom had to move to a sketchy area, which has been immortalized in the movie Eight Mile. And not only was that uh, a sketchy area in terms of socioeconomic status, but it was really a racial border zone between white and black communities in Detroit at the time. This was um, right around or right after the time that we had these huge riots in Detroit where the urban decay that we're still seeing in, in that city really began, uh, where we where the white flight that we saw in that 
city uh, really began. And so Eminem and his mom and his younger half-brother moved in at at this time of great transition. And it was very difficult on the one hand, obviously they didn't have a lot of opportunities, educational opportunities weren't there. Um, a lot of familial and economic opportunities weren't there on the one hand. On the other hand, this opened Eminem up to a world of cultural opportunities, particularly the world of hip hop music and street poetry, which he just took to instantaneously. So. Through this uh, rough childhood uh, and all these experiences with his mom and being bullied as a kid and then being a type of racial minority in his adolescent years gave him all this rich content that he has now immortalized in the lyrics, in the lyrics that many of us uh, know and love and some of us know and love to hate. Can you maybe uh, tell us a little bit about the, the music scene in Detroit? Uh, well, at, at the time uh, that Eminem was coming up, they had a very vibrant underground music scene, much like what I was uh, hearing in New York City and in Queens in particular. Um, and so he would go to to do battles, to do hip hop battles, much like what you saw in Eight Mile um, as he began to get good. And people were really surprised and they had a hard time believing, you know, that he was a white guy. Um, so he had a lot of issues in that regard. He then also had issues with other white rappers who were trying to come up at the time. Um, also trying to find a voice just within the general music scene. This is when we see the emergence of Kid Rock. And so I think he has definitely been influenced by Kid Rock in terms of a lot of the rock and roll feel to his music over time that has just become more pronounced with this last album last year. So Eminem was really um, immersed and looking for influences and really trying to find his own voice. I think like any writer or artist uh, or professor, etc., cetera, uh, you know, we go through these periods of knowing what we like and having all of these important texts and people influence us and knowing that we have something to say, but not yet sure how to say it in a way that reflects who we believe we are. And I think that was Eminem's struggle in those early days uh, is really figuring out how to deliver his heart in a way that would make other people believe and want to hear more. One of the fascinating parts in the early part of your book is where you talk about um, his his mother, and then you talk about uh, Dr. Dre as his father. So can you maybe talk a little bit about those parental influences on him? Sure. So when we talk about Eminem and these personas, so, you know, we've got Marshall Mathers, whose story I've told you mostly about just the straight up biographical facts. But then we have Eminem and Slim Shady, who really are personas. They are imaginary characters. And so I began to say, you know, what makes them different from Marshall Mathers. And I realized that they were uh, party to this, this weird biracial family experience um, through music and popular culture. So as I said, you know, with Eminem and his mom, they lived this single parent lifestyle. But he really has said in lyrics and interviews that he found his male role models and parental guidance in a fatherly way from African-American rappers. 
And so when he began to get hooked up, I mean, his first favorite of all time was Ice-T. And if you saw the documentary Ice-T released a couple of years ago, you see this moment when he, Eminem meets him and like gets tongue-tied, which is really amazing, you know, to watch someone like Eminem get tongue-tied and nervous in front of one of his role models. But then when we get to Dr. Dre, after Eminem has almost won the Rap Olympics in LA and is feeling super defeated, um, we begin to see Dr. Dre take on in the music and in the crafting of his persona, this fatherly role. And so what I began to see as I listened, as, as I watched Eminem's videos and, and listened to his music with a more carefully tuned ear, was that he was expressing this idea of not feeling as Slim Shady, quite white or quite black, but somehow something in between. And then as I've done more biographical research, we learned that, you know, through his his mother's family, he does have a complicated racial history. And so uh, his mother, uh, you know, suggests that they are multiracial in and of themselves as Native American and white, and that he has chosen to deal and not deal with those issues uh, publicly. And so we begin to see, even in Eminem, taking on this uh, this multiracial character in the form of Slim Shady. That was really interesting. And when you think about the demographics of that time, the, the early 21st century, this is, you know, the first time the year 2000 that people are checking all boxes that apply for their racial and ethnic identities on the census. Over the last 14 years, we've seen the multiracial demographic grow and grow and grow and, and begin to question ideas about race and belonging in ways that you can hear in Eminem's music. So he really was uh, giving a portrait of the time, even as uh, I suggest at times he was passing as a white rapper. So, you know, one of the interesting things that came out to me from this study was, wow, what if, you know, the greatest white rapper we've ever known is actually passing as white? Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that an interesting story to tell? And, and it, it became one for me. Well. I, as a fellow researcher, I was just blown away by the methodology in this book where, um, well, maybe you can tell a little bit about how you started studying his lyrics and how you started making sense of it. Sure. Well, um, as I said, this, this kind of goes back to that faithful conversation I had with my grandpa so many years ago, who, as I said, was a reverend and really asked me to challenge myself and see what what if any spiritual messages, you know, I might hear in this guy's music over the years. And so, you know, note to the listeners, always listen to your grandparents, especially when they get to be like 89 and 90, they know what they're talking about. So I was extremely skeptical that I would find anything, um, you know, to confirm my grandpa's suspicion. So I decided to really go looking. And so what I did was I coded all of Eminem's lyrics from uh, the first tapes I could get my hands on, which were from like 1994, uh, where he had this little teeny bopper rap group that would perform in, you know, in the schools and like rec centers called Basement Productions. And then through Infinite and all the way through uh, the 2010 album Recovery, and I coded it for spiritual themes. So I looked at themes of love and hate. I looked at themes of guilt uh, and redemption and purification. And uh, and then I, I just looked at just angelic and demonic, um, you know, Christian cosmological themes in his music. And I was overwhelmed uh, by the by the results that I found was that um, Eminem definitely 
is crafting spiritual messages in his music. And I've begun to see that perhaps that's one of the reasons why his work resonates with so many people that even though you, one can have and narrate these very dark experiences or dark imaginings that one can also narrate um, underneath that these amazing yearnings for something beyond you know, what we can imagine and what we can see and feel. And to see those two things going on at the same time was really amazing. Uh, for me, it was an amazing experience. So when you first started finding all the spirituality in his work, um, what when you started telling scholars and peers and other people that you were finding this, what, what were some of the initial responses? Everything from rolling of the eyes uh, <laughs> To, uh, okay, but how do you answer for, you know, the gross, uh, you know, anti-feminist rhetoric in his work to people coming up to me at conference and saying, huh, now I begin to understand why I've been attracted to his work. So it's, it's been a wide range of responses. And, you know, to those who say, well, yeah, but that doesn't erase, you know, all of the ugliness that we hear, I say, certainly, but doesn't it remind us that human beings and the artwork they produce get to be complicated um, and, and, and get to be contradictory? And isn't that so much of what it is to be a human being who may be on a spiritual path? So, uh, so it, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting. That's been uh, the most surprising aspect of the book for me, not just from my, from my own uh, experience, but hearing what other people have to say about it. There's still quite a bit of skepticism in that regard. So I know you you coded for more than just spirituality. Can you maybe talk about some of the other things that you were coding for as you went through the lyrics? Uh, sure. The I I think what I coded for most heavily was in that you know in that Marshall Mathers section where I wanted to uncover this spiritual perspective. But then I also began to code uh, in the section where I look at the Eminem persona on ideas about masculinity and femininity and what relationships mean and what is the relationship one has, uh, you know, with the stage and with technology and uh, with others through litigation. And so that was, you know, really interesting to go through his lyrics and look for mentions of all the lawsuits he's been involved in or incidents with the police he'd been involved in over time and, uh, and see how those add an, another layer. And so what I was able to find through looking at, you know, the biographical references, these spiritual references, and then these social and cultural references was uh, an amazing brand of social critique um, that I don't really think he gets enough credit for. Um, that rather than, you know, just call things out or be loud or boisterous or insulting just for the sake of offending people, I actually realized uh, that there is a point behind it, right? And that where um, I think a lot of times as academics, you know, we're pleased with ourselves when we just call something out and let it be. Someone like Eminem, if we can, if we can make the case that you know society is like a building, and he notices, he being Eminem notices a crack in it, rather than just call out the crack, Eminem will dive into the crack, make the crack as big as possible, hope the building will crumble, and then ask us what we think about what just happened. And I, I think that's a, a really amazing social service uh, for the early twenty first century. So that's that's kind of how I began to see Eminem in, in a bigger way, not just you know 
spiritual rantings or social rantings that are controversial or biographical tales that are, that are troubling with, especially with regard to gender and sexuality. Um, but overall as this statement on, you know, what is it like to be somebody who's, you know, uncertain about his place in society as a male, um, as, as now someone who's a middle-aged male, as a parent, as a child, as a victim of abuse, um, as someone who's had very unstable thoughts, as an introvert. Um, so, you know, he just continues to, to get more complex, which was quite fascinating. That was one of the other things that I thought, again, was just was really interesting is how you were able to notice the change in themes over time. So could you maybe talk a little bit about how, how his work is progressing and how it's changing? Sure. Well, I, I think uh, in many ways, you know, art imitates life. And so as he struggled, for, for instance, with substance abuse, once he became famous, he found that, you know, as such an extreme introvert, one of the only ways he could just deal with everything that had begun to happen was to numb it. And so he became addicted to pain pills and he's, you know, talked publicly about this and this almost overdosed at least twice that he's willing to mention. And so you begin to see at these turning points in his life, the the lyrics change. So, you know, when he was uh, just first coming up, I think we see more of, you know, here's where I've come from. Let me explain myself. Uh, so that's the first two LPs and certainly, you know, the film. But then as he became famous, it began to be more of a critique of the culture industry and, and of hip hop itself, of politics and popular culture. And then as he began to reckon with, I think, his own personal demons, uh, and 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 having this recovery in the last couple of albums we've seen this spiritual growth i think what was fascinating and was something i was hoping you know wouldn't happen but but i also get is that with this last album that just came out uh toward the end of last year or actually last summer uh we see a return to a lot of the older themes uh so a lot of the you know anti uh anti woman rhetoric um a lot of just like the straight up party stuff and a little less of the, the spiritual seeking. And so it reminded me as the theory that I used in the book suggests that once you get to this point of recovery or transcendence, a lot of people aren't necessarily going to be willing to see where you go next because you've created this loyal fan base over the past decade and a half by being really dysfunctional. And so what one has to do then is start another level um, you know, to the dysfunction or unpack it in different ways. And so while some of that was disappointing for me as, you know, I approach middle age in my own life and want to hear different things. I also thought uh, what he really did uh, to produce the album, technologically speaking, was amazing. And I think that's where we, we hear the maturity. We hear the maturity and actually how the music itself and the beat sound, how technology is integrated um, and how in the videos ideas about, you know, media effects and plugging in and unplugging and religion and plugging in and unplugging to a higher power really come to be portrayed. So I think what we're seeing like Eminem 2.0 is um, uh, different visual strategies, different strategies for marketing and entertainment, not necessarily um, different messages in the music. So it's frustrating, but also interesting to see, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, what do you do? When you want to be a rapper and your demographic is now easily like 30 years younger than you. I mean, that's a big deal. 
you know, so I, I think he's, he's trying to figure that out, he and his team. And I think it's maturing and sonically and visually, but leaving the messages um, a little more youth oriented and, and offensive to get attention. Did you have an opportunity uh, over the course of the research for the book or just in general to, to talk with his fans and see what they were hearing in the music and what they were connecting with? Yeah, I did. And I didn't, I didn't intend to, I really wanted to just, you know, sit in the library at Brown where I was on a postdoc doing this project and just, you know, leave myself, you know, to having to listen to Eminem and really not get anybody else's input. But inevitably, as you're out for coffee and just going around and people ask you what you're working on and you, you say, you know, you're doing a project like this, everybody has an opinion. So I began to welcome those types of conversations. And, um, and, and I was really fascinated to hear that not everybody had as negative opinion about Eminem as I had anticipated they would, and particularly women. Um, you know, certainly I think what we hear most about is, you know, his anti-LGBT and, and anti-woman messaging, which, you know, I'm happy to, to talk about more. But what we don't hear about is, you know, how people from LGBT communities and how women can be fans of Eminem and still maintain a sense of dignity about themselves. And so that began to be an interesting story for me that made it into the book a little bit toward the end, uh, but really has come out as I've talked to people who've read the book and I'm doing interviews such as, you know, the ones we're doing now. Those are some of the most fruitful conversations and they confirm my belief after having written this book that Eminem really is doing some profound social commentary and criticism. Well, you you mentioned here um, issues about gender and sexuality, and obviously um, Eminem has, at least in his work, you know, has an interesting relationship with both his mom and Kim, his his wife and ex wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe if you could talk just a little bit about what you what you found uh, in the in those lyrics and and how you've come to understand what he's doing when he's talking about them. Sure. Um- Women take on various roles, and what became interesting to me was that the what we tend to think of with a casual ear as Eminem being angry at all women, and what may indeed sound that way, really was pointed criticism at particular women that he had had experiences with that were troubling over time, i.e. his mother, his wife slash ex-wife. Um, and so... Uh, so, so that was interesting to say, okay, wait a minute, what if this is a bit more personal? Does it make it less offensive or politically incorrect? Probably not, but it does, it does give it a, you know, a different veil. Um, and then I found a lot of different things. One is um, when, he, when he raps about his mom, she becomes this obstacle that he had to overcome in order to get acceptance into hip hop, right? Because one of the things, you know, Um, We can say about a lot of hip hop is that, sure, you know, it might be misogynist, yada, yada, yada. But generally, rappers don't talk bad about their mamas or anybody else's mama. And so Eminem really broke some boundaries here. And um, some scholars suggest that is because he's perceived as white, so he can say things that others can't say. Other scholars suggest that he had to turn his mother, (coughs) excuse me, into this dark figure in his work so that he could be taken seriously by audiences of color, which I think is really compelling. This idea that he had to make her this villain. So she functioned 
in this, in this blackish kind of way, excuse me, I'm just going to grab some water with regard to Kim. Uh, Kim becomes like just this repository for confusion, <clears throat> excuse me, and insecurity and really destabilizes him as a male. So he's not quite sure what it means to be a man when your your wife, ex-wife is taller than you or maybe can like beat you up and might threaten to. He has to figure out what that means. Figure out what it means that he's attracted to someone that reminds him of his mom. Uh, you know, so so there's there's a lot of complex stuff going on there. But what became even more interesting to me, which is some, something that almost no one talks about, <clears throat> is how Eminem differentiates Kim and his mom, Debbie, from his own daughter, Haley, and then from his adopted daughter, Whitney, and, and the rest of his adopted family. Uh, and that was really revelatory for me. Haley becomes his reason for rapping. And in the beginning, when she's a baby, she's his reason to succeed. She's his reason to keep trying. And then when she can begin to talk, he incorporates her problematically, for sure, into a lot of his songs, particularly the one where he imagines, you know, killing Haley's mother. Um, I can't imagine what that was like, that family screening of that song the first time. Uh, so, you know, so, so she begins to take on these roles of like supporting him, even in these darkest moments. But then she becomes his biggest critic when she can talk back as a tween and a teenager. And it's like, dad, why don't you get it together? Like I need a father. I need someone who's not a drug addict to be my dad. And so she is really one of the only people who can criticize him in his work. And one of the few people whose opinion he really takes seriously. Um, so, so that, that's one thing. I think part of that is she comes from him. So he finds that redeeming and charming, I suppose, as you know, we all would with our own children. Um, but I think also because she is a child um, and because she doesn't take on this sexualized role that his mom and Kim and other women, Mariah Carey and the like, have taken on in his music, um, he's, he's able to listen to her in a different way. Uh, and so one of the troubling messages that does come out is this idea that as women, uh, you know, are sexualized and seek their own sexual pleasure, they become problematic for men. Um, so that that's one thing that I just can't ignore and, you know, and, and won't and won't ignore that needs to be addressed in the music. But then I also found that in this figure of Haley and this child that, you know, I guess helps to redeem him that and that he loves and wants to hear from. That's what I found in talking to fans to connect to your last question, Richard, um, that many young women were getting behind his portrayals of this young woman, Haley. And to the point where we've got this fad of young Eminem female fans like creating these fake social media accounts to be Haley, which was amazing. And getting, you know, all these followers and connecting with other young women who are, I wish I had a dad who would love and protect me and talk to me and talk about me in these kind of ways. So, you know, he also uh, maybe accidentally created a way for a lot of young women to be able to get behind his work. And I'll just say as a, you know, lifelong fan of hip hop who has been troubled by sexism and misogyny in the music at large, what I find interesting about Eminem's music is that it challenges me to really think about what it means to be a feminist to think about what it means to be someone who's interested in equal rights um, for, you know, for all, regardless of their sexual orientations. And, um, you know, does my coming out as a fan of Eminem music 
make me any less, uh, you know, egalitarian. And so it's, it's, it's been a personal, you know, it's been a personal journey for me as, a, as I share with a lot of my students who ask me these questions as they struggle with his music and so much other music and, and imagery from pop culture is, you know, I just don't want to be a filter bubble feminist. That is to say a feminist who, you know, because I like Katy Perry or, you know, whatever, or Beyonce or, you know, insert name here means I can't also be interested in politics or can't also like Eminem or can't also be able to engage and say, well, Eminem, I like your music and I completely disagree with you. And here's why. And here's why that's important. And, and I feel like as a result of this study, that if we just turn it a deaf ear to the music or to the imagery that we don't like, then we're really letting these artists and entertainment executives off the hook. And we're giving them license to produce whatever they want because they can just then say, well, turn it off. But if you say, no, I want to listen to it because I like it, but I also want to reckon with it. And I want you to understand where I'm coming from as well. I think we begin to make progress. And I think we begin to have debate. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of the ways that pop culture, can can help us understand this moment that we're living in a lot more effectively. Um, well, one of the, the things that we, we've kind of talked around a little bit, and I'd like to hear you maybe speak a little bit more directly, is about Eminem as a, as a white rapper. I mean, mm-hmm. as I think about a lot of the books that are written about hip-hop, it seems like Eminem isn't really a part of a lot of them. That he seems like he's almost kind of like this mysterious absence in a lot of hip hop scholarship. Um, what was the response when you started talking to hip hop scholars that you wanted to write a serious academic book about him? And what's your take about his position, at least how, um, how scholars are looking at hip hop? Yeah. Um, I think people even now still don't know what to do with Eminem. Uh, certainly in terms of hip hop history, I mean, he, he's just, he's just an, an artist that can't be ignored. So I see him included in anthologies and all of that. But generally, um, with a lot of the academics that I've read and a few that I've, you know, that I've had the pleasure of talking to, the verdict is still negative all the time. Um, you know, very little redeeming qualities in the music. And and I just, I, I profoundly, I, I just come from a totally different place. I profoundly disagree. And I, and I feel like, not only can I study Eminem and disagree with a lot of the messages in his music without being disagreeable. Um, I think when we allow ourselves to do that, again, we're, we're promoting debate and we're, we're promoting scholarly thinking. So to more directly answer your question, I mean, when I suggest that, you know, what if Eminem is passing as white, um, people just, they're just silent. Usually they don't even know what to do with that. And I said, well, you know, wouldn't that be the greatest thing like ever? Isn't that a great story to tell one of the greatest white rappers is passing his white. What does that say about race and egalitarianism in the United States in the early 21st century? So when I, when I phrase it like that, people start wanting to hear more. Uh, but if I start talking about, if I start conversations with, you know, you should really check him out for his spiritual messages. Like he's dealing with a lot of demons, but conversely, like might make a great preacher one day. Uh, people aren't so much interested, uh, at least at first, in that. So it's it's been a journey for me in thinking and talking about Eminem and wanting to have deep conversations like this one about his work because I think they can they can help us move ourselves along um, to learn. 
uh, what what people might be more and less interested in at first, and then and then learn how to move those conversations on, which is just a a lesson I take from Eminem. You know, know your audience, right, and 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 get at them where you can, and then move them to these other places over time. So, kind of a follow up question. It seems like in hip hop, we we love to list the top five MCs of all time or the top five DJs of all time. So where does Eminem fit in, 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 wow. in those kind of conversations? Uh, I mean, just for me personally, yeah, this is a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because it's so hard for me. Um, but I, I think he's definitely, you know, among my top five MCs of all time. Um, but when we start thinking about, you know, an overall experience in the music, he's lower on the list for me. What do I mean by that? Like when you see somebody now like Kanye West mm-hmm. um, coming up, whose who's lyrics, to be, to be frank, I can often take or leave, but who is just a creative genius in terms of the sound and knowing how to create an experience and a persona that envelops audiences in. Um, you know, as compared to a Kanye as an entertainer, Eminem is way lower on the list. But in terms of being a purist, I mean, for me, um, if there's a top five, I would say Eminem's probably number three behind like uh, Rakim and KRS-One for me. Um, and then right behind him, I put MC Light. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest, I just, I've always loved the beat nuts. Uh, so they would probably <laughs> round out uh, you know, for me, uh, my my top five MCs of all time, just on straight up skill um, and agility with words. But then when you begin to, you know, take it out, uh, Eminem's a little bit lower on the list for me. Well, that's great. Well, one of the things that I didn't know, and I don't know how I didn't know this, um, was I really enjoyed reading about Eminem's beef with um, Mariah Carey. Oh yeah, at that that part. I mean, what what I was amused by. What 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 did you find interesting and just fascinating about that whole scene? I'm amused by the fact that it's really still ongoing. So uh, one of my graduate assistants just sent me a link last week. Mariah Carey did a Power 105 uh, interview, uh, and they asked her about Eminem, and she pulls some Godiva out of her purse and says, you know, I only eat Godiva. So why are we talking about M&Ms? And everybody starts laughing. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I mean, we're on a decade later and we're still doing this. Um, so first of all, I mean, it just, it makes for, you know, great coffee table, water cooler talk. Um, but in terms of pop culture commentary and really a battle of, of messages about gender stereotyping and, and role playing, I think, no one has come at him quite as effectively um, as Mariah Carey, perhaps with the exception of Tori Amos, to whom he just couldn't respond when she covered Kim. Uh, It was just so brilliant. Um, But with Mariah Carey, they, you know, they supposedly had this, you know, quick love affair and uh, then decide to take it out on each other in public by the fact that, you know, things just didn't work and they weren't compatible. But what it really boiled down to was Mariah Carey making this really smart critique about Eminem's masculinity and basically that he doesn't have any mm-hmm. um, and really hitting him where she knows it would hurt, right? Because so much of his music is about being this guy who's questioning his masculinity and isn't sure what to do with, you know, these feelings that he's having about women and sometimes about men and, you know, may not even know what his racial identity is. But, but unlike somebody like Elvis, right, Eminem, 
only wants to be the only one who can imitate and make fun of himself. (laughs) Um, And Mariah Carey just wasn't going to let him get off the hook with that. So in these songs where they go back and forth, I mean, she just, she's just taking him out like one plank at a time in terms of his masculinity, everything from his sexual performance to his performance on stage, to his outfits, to turning him into a teenage girl that she actually plays, Mm -hmm. you know, in her video. And then, oh my goodness. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. So, uh, so it, it, in your book, I think you had said that you thought that uh, Eminem won that one. It's barely, I'm, barely. Yes. Okay, yeah. Like I, it, it, it was hard for me to give it to him. But you know, when uh, when he came out after Mariah Carey got married and had the babies, and was like, you know, I just wish them well. And she still, you know, continues with the vitriol. I'm like, okay, it seems like he's made an attempt to to put this one behind him. So I, I had to, I had to give it to him on that one. Um, you, you kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier, but, um, where do you see Eminem's, where do you see Eminem in, in five to 10 years? Um, there's a lot of sort of older hip hop acts that now kind of tour, tour colleges and give mm-hmm. tour or give speeches about, you know, what hip hop was. Uh, where do you see where do you see Eminem being in 10 or 15 years? It's a great question. You know, I, I get the sense that he's like extremely introverted. So going around and doing, you know, what, what Ice Cube is doing or what KRS-One has done in the past. Um, I would say perhaps, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he wouldn't do it, but that wouldn't be my first guess for him, like kind of getting on the lecture circuit. I really think it'll be production. I really think he um, he will integrate more of his music and his sound into technology. So, you know, we begin to see uh, his mentor, Dr. Dre, doing this in terms of producing, you know, the Beats headphones and then selling it and buying it back and all this stuff. Um, so I, I, I think we'll begin to see him go into go into other arenas and perhaps not be on stage as much. So, so I'm one of the things that's interesting to me like about rock and roll is that these acts never seem to die and go away. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, Mick Jagger at 70 still mm-hmm. pretending he's 25. Right. Uh, do we see that with hip hop or do we think hip hop's going to be a little bit more self-conscious about about how old it is and 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 what the scene is like? Well, I think because of the nature of, you know, Latino and African American uh folks, you know, really being the genesis of hip hop, you know, we, we also have to remember that, you know, there are still the statistics out there that suggest that black and brown men are still rarities when they make it over 25. And we're seeing, you know, like a tribe called quest de la soul who just gave away all their catalog for free on Valentine's day. Right. Like, um, really not knowing how to fit in this society that really doesn't know what to do with older black and brown men. Um, who are not in prison, you know, who are not thugs, like who aren't trying to carry guns. I think we see Jay-Z, um, you know, attempting to put on this mogul persona, um, you know, with a great degree of success. I think this is the problem that we're seeing someone like Kanye West have right now. Um, what happens when, you know, life kind of gets good and you want to do other things, but there's no box for you. And so to a degree, I think Eminem is in that box as a rapper. Uh, because of his whiteness, I think, as always, he'll be allowed a little more flexibility. But it, to, to, to quote a good friend of mine who also studies hip-hop, uh, it's unclear, I think, what will happen. But, and I think that speaks to a lack of clarity we have as a society for um, this type of, for lack of a 
better way of putting it, like urban masculinity as it matures. I don't know that we know what to do with that yet. Um, one, one thing that I'd forgotten to ask you earlier is, do you have a real sense of, um, in terms of racial breakdown of Eminem's audience, is I know that Eminem is frequently seen or portrayed as he's the, he's the rapper that, that white kids listen to. Mm-hmm. Could you get a, a real good feel for who's listening to Eminem and like what, what kind of breakdown he has in his audience? Sure. I mean, well, you don't get to be, you know, one of the greatest recording artists of all time by just having, you know, white people listen to you. Right. Um, so, so, so that's kind of silly. Um, but I do think we can see in the personas that he is addressing different audiences at different times. So a lot of times with the spiritual references, um, you know, and asking for forgiveness, we see that as reaching out to women, uh, with a lot of the Eminem messages about, you know, critiquing racial politics, critiquing the legal system. We see that as reaching out to communities of color. And then we see a lot of the Eminem kind of like white, angry teenager music reaching out to, you know, what might be white, angry or confused teenagers. So I really think um, when we look at his personas this way, we get a large sense of, you know, who may be listening or at least who he's attempting to address. So I, I would argue that it's much more um, universal than we might want to give it credit for. To your point, I was uh, on a trip taking a break from writing this book because, as you can imagine, listening to nothing but Eminem for like seven months kind of makes you angry. So I, uh, I took a trip with a friend of mine and we went over to the Middle East, Israel and Palestine in particular. And Eminem's music was the only one I heard on both sides hmm. of the border. And I don't know if that speaks to just the general feeling over there, you know, and the high tension. Um, that, that that area of the world experiences, but I found that fascinating. And I wound up having these wonderful conversations, one with a Palestinian woman, one with a Jewish woman, who who both said why they are such humongous Eminem fans. And it's because they hear a pain in his music that helps them understand a lot of the pressures that they go through in their own lives. And these are two women who have never talked to each other and probably never will, but I had the great fortune of literally bumping into both of them. Um, and, and, and I, I found that to be quite amazing. So I guess that's my long answer to your question. Do I think just like white American boys are listening to Eminem's music and finding something useful in it? No. <laughs> well, one thing that your, that last answer really reminded me of is as I was reading your book, I was reading it with YouTube on and I kept on, listening to songs that I hadn't listened to in a while. Um, what, what, I guess I couldn't leave this interview without asking you. So I, I know in the, I think it's in the introduction or the preface you talk about kill you as being one of your, mm-hmm. your favorite songs. What other of his songs really um, speak to you or, or that you've really, that you really enjoy? Oh gosh. Um, the way I am, uh, you know, as someone who's interested in multiracial identities and passing and, uh, and communication and how we use our words to present ourselves perhaps as we would wish others would see us rather than how we see ourselves. I think the way I am is probably my number one of all time. Um, you know, favorite song for its message. I just like kill you. Like it just sounds, I don't know. It just hits me the most like of all of his songs. So, um, but I had to get to a place where I felt like it was okay for me to say that. Cause I didn't always, it's like, what do people think? Uh, if I say kill you is my favorite song. Um, and then other songs of his that, um, that, that I just experienced in a different way by, uh, writing, having to write this book, Kim, 
Uh, you know, it's a horrible song. It's an ugly song. And at the same time, it's like, you know, listening to a novel. Um, uh, and let's see, I guess if I could round it out. So those are three. Maybe I'll give you my top five Eminem song. I think Spacebound off of Recovery is another really compelling song. And uh, I guess the last one, that's hard. Definitely not from his later work. I think, you know, going back, there's this old song that sometimes I make fun of, but uh, it's called It's Okay from way before he became famous. I believe it's off the Infinite uh, tape or, or CD. And it just talks about this idea of that, that you can see any challenge life has coming at you and it can beat you down to the core. But as long as you retain an inner resolve that things will be okay, even if you don't know what okay means or how that'll happen, that there's a reason to get up in the morning. And that kind of optimism uh, for me, given what I've now learned about Eminem's early life, uh, is very compelling. So I guess those are my top five Eminem songs. Well, well that is great. Um, what, what are you working on right now? Now I am working on uh, a new book, an edited book about multiracial identities. So uh, a, a different version of Eminem's story, one that perhaps more of us can, uh, can more directly relate to. It's called Mixed Race 3.0. That'll be coming out. And I'm still uh, talking a lot about Eminem, The Real Slim Shady, as well as my first book on multiracial identities and passing called Clearly Invisible. So just trying to keep up with what's going on. Well, thank you very much. It was great talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great fun. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to new books and popular music. This is your host, Richard Scher. We've been talking with Marsha Dawkins, the author of Eminem, The Real Slim Shady.